the Bandroom Podcast is proudly supported by Kaleidoscope Adventures. Kaleidoscope Adventures is a full-service student trip planner with more than 26 years of inspiring student travel. Dylan and I have had positive experiences on school music trips, so we both know how much these meaningful opportunities contribute to students' musical development and create lasting memories. Kaleidoscope Adventures specializes in organizing unique trips to over 40 student-friendly destinations. If you're planning a student trip, you can count on the Kaleidoscope Adventures professionals to collaborate with you to organize the perfect education or performance tour. When you're ready to plan your next adventure, visit KaleidoscopeAdventures.com. That's KaleidoscopeAdventures.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. And wow, e wow. What a day <laughs> we've had, Kate. For the first time in our history, we've uh had we've basically spent our whole day recording episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually kind of tired. I know, but it's the good kind of tired that comes yeah, from good kind of tired. you know, spending a lot of time doing a good thing and also knowing that we are ahead in terms of Mm -hmm. having episodes recorded for the future so future dylan and kate will be very (laughs) thankful that we spent the day talking to people (laughs) yeah yes i i need to you're right i need to remind myself of that Mm -hmm. Uh, although it had it has been a really great day uh, of talking uh to people um and today this the one that you're going to hear (laughs) was uh Especially special uh, because we got to sit down with Dr. Melanie Brooks, who is assistant professor of music at Winona State University, where she conducts the wind ensemble and the symphonic band, as well as teaches various conducting courses and and, and now saxophone, as we've we've discussed in the episode. And we got to talk about uh, kind of her her path, as we usually do. Also, for me, it was it was really cool just because Melanie is a pass Arizona State graduate so we uh, it was nice to connect with a fellow sun devil and <laughs> uh, and talk about that stuff but uh, as well as uh, many other things that Kate's going to tell you about <laughs> well I'll I'll mainly let Melanie uh, tell you yeah. all herself in the episode but yeah it was it was wonderful to hear about her path especially um, we highlighted some of her time studying music in Finland and mm. you know any BRP uh, fans will know that we love talking to people about their sort of strange and winding paths that they take to end up where they are currently. Uh, and this was no exception. Um, we It was a real treat to hear about all of the experiences that Melanie has had. And one highlight I would say is, is talking about uh, her company, Leading Tones Music, um, which offers mm-hmm. mixed level music and creative programming solutions. Uh, it was just such a delight to hear about the origins of this initiative and the projects that she kind of did while she was a student and a teacher that led to um, founding this. So we'll we'll make sure to link all of those things in all of the usual places uh, so that everybody listening can learn more about all of this. Um, but before we get to the episode, I'm going to just ask you all to do us a huge favor uh, and please leave us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you aren't able to do that, but you can subscribe to us on social media, you can give us a follow, a like, or or maybe share an episode with somebody that you think would benefit from listening to it. Those are all some really fantastic ways to show support to mm-hmm. us and our guests and all the work that we're doing in this community. It really, really helps us out. And speaking of helping us out, Dylan, what's another way that people can support the podcast? You know what, Kate? This week, I'm not done talking about this <laughs> because I know how many people listen to this podcast on a weekly basis. And I also know that most of you listen to it for free, for free. And um, there are not hundreds of reviews on the Bandroom podcast, and there could be. Mm-hmm. So can, if could you please 
just just go do it. Just do it right now. Push pause and go do it. If it's your first time, I encourage you to listen to the full episode and 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 make your decision after. But <laughs> so many of you listen every week. Go do it right now. I'm not even asking. Do it. Just go do it. <laughs> and maybe it's because <laughs> this is the last thing we're doing today and I'm going a little crazy. You should just go do that. And if you want another way to support the podcast, you could become a patron through Patreon. You could you could support the podcast in a financial way if that is something that you are willing to do if you don't want to go leave a review. Although I think most people who are patrons have also left a review. So mm-hmm. you are really some wonderful people. Really the superstars um, here. Yeah. yeah <laughs> wow. Uh, but this week uh, we spoke to Melanie about her time in Finland, um, just some some of the experiences that uh, she went through uh, involving the – are you ready for this? Uh, involving the sauna. Yeah, hey, you did it. <laughs> that was pretty good. Aaron Perrine would uh, for, approve. <laughs> yeah. For anyone uh, who pronounces it sauna, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I thought I thought when Aaron Perrine was on that he was wrong and he was saying it very strangely and it was just like a Minnesota thing. Um, but Melanie told us today, no, that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she talked – <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go, listener. So learn something else. Um, but anyway, we, we, we spoke about that and um, – Jumping into cold water and lots of fun stuff as well as uh, some other things about Finland and just generally uh, being people of the north as all three of us are. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> some experiences there. So you can check that out and many more bonus episodes uh, by visiting patreon.com slash bandroompod. Hey, guess what? That's patreon.com slash bandroompod for more. <laughs> and without further ado... Here is our conversation with Dr. Melanie Brooks. Okay, here we are for another exciting Bandroom podcast. And today we have the great pleasure of being joined uh, with Dr. Melanie Brooks, who is Assistant Professor of Music at Winona State University. Welcome to the Bandroom, Melanie. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is so exciting uh, for numerous reasons. Uh, and, and anyone who knows, or anyone who's listened to an episode in which I get to talk to someone who went to Arizona State knows I don't <laughs> shut up about it. So I'm excited about that. But also just uh, I've just heard so much walking the hallowed halls here at ASU. I've heard so many good things about you. And I'm, I'm glad that we can finally um, get to kind of pick your brain about some stuff and learn more about you and, and share it with our audience. Um, so I guess the, the first thing that we'll do is start where we always start. Uh, where, why, and how did you start your musical journey? Yeah. Oh, great question. So where did my musical journey officially begin? Well, not in my memory, but what I've heard actually is the womb. So my mom actually <laughs> is is not a, a professional musician, but she does play the saxophone in community bands, still does, mm-hmm. uh, in retirement. Nice. And I was told that whenever uh, she was practicing, or in particular when she was sitting in community band rehearsals, that I was... Uh, kicking, dancing, just <laughs> just loving it. So um, yeah, before I was even uh, a fully fledged human, I guess I was I was yeah. doing doing music. But uh, to be honest, I think um, you know it was always something that I really loved. Uh, I grew up in a small town in South Central Minnesota uh, called Wasika, and it was one of those gems where it was a small town that had a really great and a rather storied band program even before I went to school there. Um, so I had wonderful opportunities uh, to, to learn an instrument. Incidentally, was the saxophone. Nice. Um, 
But I, I got really active in the, the jazz scene, the marching band, uh, traveled and did field shows. And I was really, really interested in that. And I love the whole process of just kind of uh, getting a group of peers and, and just trying to make a performance or a rehearsal even. I like the process to making that as, mm. as fun and successful as possible. So I had a great, pro, uh, great experience in high school. Um, that's probably what really got me thinking seriously about studying music as a, as a profession. Okay. And, and was it, did you, was it like, I, I want to be a music teacher kind of right out away or what, did you maybe have <laughs> a vague idea that you wanted to study music after? Yeah. Um, so not really. Uh, so my, my family, uh, a lot of my family's in like the medicine profession. Mm. Oh, and okay. Pressure. I also was a nerd. Oh yeah. I was also a nerd about, uh, you know, calculus, chemistry, okay. all of that stuff. I liked that. Um, so I kind of went in thinking, well, uh, maybe I can get a liberal arts degree in music and mm. maybe go through a pre-med and, and do that. Right. Um, but I just found so much more joy in my music classes. I had not taken music theory or any of those classes in high school. Um, mm. And so it, just, it was just like opening my eyes to just a whole bunch of uh, exciting new content, I guess you could say, just right. to, to <laughs> learn. And I, I came across a friend, actually, who was a senior when I was a freshman uh, in band. And I just asked him, like, hey, uh, you know, how did you decide that you wanted to be a music major? I was having a lot of guilt. I was like, yeah. you know, I kind of want to ditch this, you know, this pre-med thing and just go all in on, on music. I do want to be a music educator. I want to be a band director. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked him and he's just like, well, uh, you know, I told myself that if it ever stopped being fun, I would stop doing it. <laughs> and here I was, I was like racking my Easy brain, peasy. just like, yeah, <laughs> I do this. And, you know, and like just thinking of all of these hypotheticals and like the answer was just so uh, simple and mm-hmm. uh, poignant at the same time mm-hmm. that I was like, yeah. huh, maybe uh, take a step back right. and just kind of think about things in that more holistic sense. And um, that was a big moment. And yeah, I, I decided to just go all in on music and, um, happened to have a wonderful time. Uh, undergrad was at St. Olaf College, which okay. uh, had ensembles that would go on uh, tours and things like that. And that was just right. really exciting to get to live with a concert program for multiple concerts at a time. And right. um, yeah, it was. It and was is that fantastic. where is that where Timothy Marr teaches? Yes. Yep. Oh, great. This amazing yeah. director and mentor, um, and also uh, Stephen Amundsen. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember him being my, my music theory professor and he's about to retire actually. Um, but oh. absolute giant and, um, kind of another sports nut too. I remember also kind of dealing with, uh, this, I want to go to school and play basketball and I want to play softball and actually ended up playing softball at St. Olaf and a okay. small enough school cool. to do both of those things. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but I, I was really passionate about basketball and so I'd go to the gym and I'd be like just shooting hoops by myself, just being like, man, I should just be in basketball. I should just do it. And he would always just kind of like give me a thumbs up if he was like working out like, yeah, nice jump shot. <laughs> anyway, it was just such a, a a great like camaraderie at that at that school. And um, yeah, I, I just can't say enough good things about my my great. colleagues, my peers, my my mentors at St. Olaf is um, yeah, yeah, for all the oldies yeah. out there. <laughs> I'm learning all these these new things for, about schools. Like, yeah. It's great. And now, a word from our sponsor. Our friends at the Interprovincial Music Camp will be hosting their first beginning band camp summer of 2022. Can't read music? No problem. No experience is required. All campers ages 9 to 12 are welcome. Learn from amazing faculty like Jackie Sue and a team of specialists. They'll teach everything from instrument assembly to first notes and bring you to your first performance. You'll also get to benefit from masterclasses with world-renowned faculty to learn more about your instrument. Don't have that instrument? Also, no worries, because instruments will be available courtesy of Long and McWade when you get to your first camp session. Choose from flute, clarinet, alto sax, trumpet, French horn, trombone, euphonium, tuba, or percussion. IMC facilities are second to none with fully equipped cabins, outstanding meals with one of the chefs dedicated to preparing meals for those with specific dietary needs. 
you'll have a great time learning about music, but also enjoying a true camp experience with traditional activities such as swimming, sailing, water skiing, beach volleyball, and much, much more, as well as evening programs for campers each night after the faculty concert. Register today at www.campimc.ca to learn a new instrument, be inspired, have fun, and make memories that will last a lifetime. And you're actually, you know, today was a, a, a bit of a strange day for Kate and I because we did two, we're doing two interviews at, at once. But for the second time today, there's someone who studied calculus as well as, yeah. as music and had interest in that. It's very, oh, I wonder what this connection might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when was it that you kind of uh, got the conducting bug and, and decided to, you know, come to ASU? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Or so what's actually, in between that and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, a lot. <laughs> um, but without just delving into all the details, it, yeah. I actually, right before my last year at St. Olaf, uh, I remember Tim Marr, uh, Dr. Marr, mm-hmm. called me and one of my other good friends at St. Olaf into his office. And he said, hey, there is this new uh, conductor, young conductors fellowship program that's mm-hmm. kind of attached to this workshop uh, at the University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And... I think it might have been one of the first years they were doing it. And he's like, I can nominate people. And I was thinking of you. Are you interested? Or maybe it was more of one of those, hey, you're doing this sort of conversation. <laughs> but <laughs> I have all volunteered you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I went up there and I remember thinking like, I think we, we had like a chamber winds piece to prepare. But otherwise, we just got to kind of be a part of it, like listen to these wonderful uh, lectures and sessions and, and play in the, the big lab band with all of the, you know, people gunning for grad school or in grad school or were really, really mm-hmm. serious conductors. And I remember knowing uh, who Craig Kirchhoff was um, and being absolutely terrified that I was going to be <laughs> in the same room as this like famous band conductor. And, you know, I was just, I was nervous about kind of this idea of someone of that much uh, knowledge and and esteem kind of sitting there with the clipboard i don't know why this uh imaginary scenario involved with the clipboard <laughs> but kind of just being like and you're bad at this 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 mm-hmm. and i have no time for you but it was the exact opposite i realized mm-hmm. at this workshop that all of these like incredible musicians and conductors and who were doing amazing things in the profession were real people and we're not just real people. They were real compassionate people. They cared to talk to the, the college seniors and the, you know, just anyone who was there. And, and it was in a real genuine way. And I realized not just, oh, I, I got to hear the beautiful sounds in the second movement of the Gounod Petite Symphony. It was more just right. that collective eye-opening experience of like, oh, these are my people. Like to yeah. be really good at conducting is not to be really snobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently to have a clipboard, <laughs> um, but to be really, really p- successful as, as a conductor or an ensemble director is also to just be a really the best human being you can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is what I want. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And, and then you spent some time teaching in the public school system before heading off to grad school. Yes. Um, public and private actually. I, oh, yeah. Had a long-term substitute teaching position at a private mm-hmm. school, uh, also in rural Minnesota, um, and that was at Bethlehem Academy. Uh, any folks in Faribault out there? Uh, but it was—it's a, a small Catholic school, and it was a five through twelve band program. I was filling mm-hmm. in for, so just doing all of that. Um, the high school band—I guess I could use quotes for that—was actually a grades mm-hmm. seven through twelve band. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. Wow. It's a lot of levels within one. That, <laughs> yep. It's like the seeds of the mixed level idea have been planted yeah, at the yeah. age of 22. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was that was a wonderful experience. It was a really great program and just uh, learned a ton. Um, but then I also taught in Pine City, Minnesota. A similar thing. Oh, yeah. I actually got to teach fifth grade band and then the senior high band while my colleague uh, taught all of the middle levels. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was wild going from a like elementary school like Miss Brooks, Miss Brooks, I can play hot cross buns with my eyes closed. Check it out, you know. And then to going to a high school jazz ensemble rehearsal, just like 
but it now was... I can play it up an octave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, so taught great. taught in Minnesota for a while, um, and yeah, the I was so shocked at a how fun it was to be a band director, but also how I'm going to be real and say it was really difficult and really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I'm kind of a late bloomer in coming to the realization that I'm a fairly introverted person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, and also just a really anxious person. And I, I yeah. think in hindsight, I remember before some of those rehearsals in both of those jobs that I'd, it'd be like five, 10 minutes before the, the class period began, I'd be kind of like pacing the room and like feeling myself almost like having a mini like anxiety yeah. moment. I don't want to say the word panic attack because I, I right. yeah, mm-hmm. but just like some real like fear and intensity and coming to grips with being, having a lot of stress and fear or anxiety also does mean you care a lot about something. So being mm-hmm. able to temper that in my early twenties was a much bigger journey than I could have ever imagined. Mm. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've never taught that age group, but you know, Yesterday, I had to go do the the women's basketball game <laughs> band, and I and I'm I am not a sports person, so <laughs> my whole day was like. Uh. <laughs> um, but we've been talking a lot about um, this book, a soprano on her head, hmm. um, and um, and they give they they talk she talks about um, how we all have our judges in in our head and what they might look like and. And I know personally, sometimes when I go into rehearsals, I am often thinking my my judges look like a lot like my students, and I and I I I, I put thoughts into their own heads that they might be having. So, uh, oh. but it's a yeah, certainly a, a, a process to get through. Um, and and uh, I, I'm not glad you had it <laughs> at that age, but you know, it, it's a it's a thing. It's a thing, and um, I'm sure a lot of. Um, well, hopefully not most young educators have to deal with mm-hmm. that level of like emotional intensity in their formative mm-hmm. years, but it, it's a real yeah. thing. And I, I would honestly, I wonder if there's any like teacher in the world, in the room who hasn't had at least some sort of nightmare oh, yeah. about yeah. <laughs> like a classroom gone wrong, like everyone's throwing stuff across the room or you yeah. know, something melts down. <laughs> like that, that has happened. I, I don't, yeah. don't want to say like it happens every night, but like I, I've definitely had like teacher nightmares we're like yeah. ah. <laughs> i i mean i've been out of classroom teaching for several years now and every once in a while i still have a classroom teaching nightmare and i wake up and i'm like this is unnecessary i i don't have to go into this job right now why am i so worried about this but um yeah we've we've definitely all been there with the anxiety and i i just want to make a note of the fact that you said you're a relatively late bloomer into realizing that you're an introvert. Um, I, I just realized last year that I'm an introvert. I, I mean, I, I guess on some level I've known for most of my life, but I think I was like working so hard to overcompensate for that, that I've created this um, outgoing personality uh, that is very different from, or maybe just doesn't align with how anxious I've been feeling a lot of the time in social situations. And it took a global pandemic for me to um, (laughs) figure out that that's what was going on. Uh, I realized, wow, I feel a sense of relief that I don't have to see people all the time. What's wrong with me? (laughs) It is um, so true. And it's a, it's a tough uh, like combination as a musician, a performer or an educator yeah. Uh, and being an introvert, I mean, it can be an awesome thing, especially mm-hmm. if some of your job just involves quietly studying a score or composing. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, but you know, it's like once you're in front of a group and you're doing the thing of music, of musicking, uh, then a lot of those anxieties just go away. But all of that build up to it, man, it's it's a real thing. Oh, for sure. And yeah, I mean, just being introverted doesn't necessarily mean that you don't enjoy being around people and it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean that you're not going to succeed like as a performer or up on the podium or in front of all these people it's just kind of a different energy output that is required like before and after these events um so yeah i'm i'm happy to Mm -hmm. know that i'm 
in the introvert musician club with you. <laughs> <laughs> the, the late blooming introvert yes. awareness <laughs> society. I feel like we can get a good acronym going if we think. Yeah, we'll but, we'll work on it and, and come back <laughs> we'll to it. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first the first conduct like the first person I really looked up to that I that told told me and a bunch of people that were, that were introvert was actually someone from Minnesota, uh, Jerry Lucard. Um, and someone who identifies, you know, as an introvert, but he came in and did this crazy workshop and he's like, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, but you know what? I'm going to go home and lay down after this and yeah. just like be away from everyone. And that's okay. And that's who I am. Um, and it, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, interesting to think about for sure. And now a word from our sponsor. It seems like almost every episode we talk about the importance of community. Often maybe our guests bring it up to why they became interested in band. Community is a big part of why many of us do what we do. Absolutely, and that's why I love our new partnership with the Canadian Band Association, to share an opportunity for you to be part of a national community of band directors, musicians, and educators. And becoming a member is easy. By joining your provincial band chapter, you automatically become a member of the Canadian Band Association. No matter if you're in British Columbia, Newfoundland and Labrador, or anywhere in between, there is a band association for you. Yes, even my homeland of Prince Edward Island. They started a new one, which is very exciting. Membership benefits include access to the Canadian Winds Journal, monthly e-news, national insurance program, national youth band audition discounts for students, access to national awards and musician certificates. Not to mention all the great events your own provincial chapters will hold. Conducting workshops, community band events, reading sessions, workshops, and more. Support band and music education in Canada through supporting the work being done by your local chapter. To learn more about how you can become a member of the Canadian Band Association, visit canadianband.org chapters to find info on how to connect with your provincial chapter. That's canadianband.org chapters to learn how you can be part of the Canadian Band community. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you about in your, in your early journey is what was the push to come study with Gary Hill at, uh, at ASU? Yeah. So um, after that first uh, a phenomenal conducting workshop experience uh, with the, the student fellowship at the University of Minnesota, which I think is still a thing. So mm -hmm. um, just kind of keep your eyes out for that because it, it was life changing for me, at least, uh, and probably many others. Um, and where I met Jerry Lucart. Oh my gosh, what an incredible person, an incredible musician. Uh, mm -hmm. But after that, I was like, these are my people. I need to find a way to do like one of these types of things every summer. And so right. pretty much every single summer from the age of 20 until I moved to Finland, um, I would go to a different workshop. I think uh, the Mike Moss uh, grant came out for, uh, uh, through CBDNA for a conducting fellowship. So I remember ap applying for that for a year. And uh, incidentally, I think that was the year I met Gary Hill. Uh, I was okay. fortunate enough to be awarded this, this opportunity to have some funding to go to Colorado, uh, where mm -hmm. Alan McMurray and uh, this guy named Gary Hill was the like, <laughs> not from Colorado Boulder coming in. And I had, you know, I, I was young and oblivious of, for the most part about who these people were, but I'm like, obviously like, they're my people. Like these are going to be amazing musicians. And, um, I, I, I worked really hard to, you know, study my music and, and try to be the best conductor I could be. Mm -hmm. And I just remember at that workshop really connecting with Gary. I remember him giving some lectures about kind of this intersection of conducting and neuroscience. That's one of his big mm -hmm. research yeah. areas. And just sort of that, that kindred spirit of like, I'm going to be a nerd about something sciencey and music. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, I see that. That's really cool. And I'd never really thought much of neuroscience before then, but just that mm -hmm. like level of intellect just absolutely floored me along with obviously mm -hmm. his amazing musicianship and pedagogical skills. So I just remember thinking, wow, Gary Hill, that was amazing. Um, I would love to get to study with him someday moving on, right. you know, and then, and then like several years had passed. <laughs> 
from then. But I just remember kind of keeping that in mind. Um, and so when I did move to Finland uh, and was looking at graduate programs, that was just, that came back and I'm like, I want to apply to Arizona State um, right. to see if I could get the chance to study with, with Gary Hill. Oh, very cool. Yeah, he has he has a mind like no other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've we've had him. Uh, he opened the season this season on, on the podcast, which was great. So to hear him talk about some of the stuff that you're mentioning, it was fascinating. But also just to hear from Jason Kastler about like, yeah, that guy like ate a book for breakfast like every day. <laughs> and, and then he'd tell you about it. And yeah. it's just like to be able to process information that quick and to like just keep it with you is a, a fascinating thing. Um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. So you mentioned spending some time in Finland and we are very curious to hear about this part of your journey and maybe you could share some highlights from your experience there. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll back up just a second and tell a long elaborate band director story. No, just kidding. Awesome. I'll back up, I'll back <laughs> up just a second um, and say, cause you know, just saying I moved to Finland is one thing of just like on a whim. Yeah, you know, yeah. it'd be cool. Um, but I, so I, I did my undergraduate studies at St. Olaf College, which is actually a very proudly Norwegian school. Mm-hmm. I actually got to study some Norwegian language while I was there because oh, I was like, cool. why not? Um, yeah. And so I was interested in kind of the, the culture of these uh, Nordic countries, uh, of which Finland is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but, but I didn't, I mean, I just, I was enamored with Norwegian language and I got to do a summer school in Norway and I was like, yeah, Norway's great. My, uh, brass methods teacher at the time, I just had one little class with him, Paul Nemisto. Um, he actually is Finnish and, uh, went to Finland almost every single summer or even multiple times a year throughout his professional, uh, career. And, there's just one passing comment he made in a brass methods class. I don't remember what it was, but I remember him saying something about how Finland has this amazing music education system. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I never realized that was a thing. Mm-hmm. So I just asked him after class, um, so what about Finland? And he's like, <laughs> oh, well, just meet in my office sometime and we'll talk about Finland. And, you know, I feel like as a, as a college student, it might have even been during softball season. It would have probably been really easy for me to just be like, okay, whatever, and moving on. But I remember just kind of being like, this is really interesting. I want to learn more. So I followed up. We talked, and he put me in touch with different music educators, people who run music camps in Finland, um, some organizations to apply for scholarships for um, Americans, American students to travel to Finland, and was just immensely supportive. So actually, after I graduated from undergrad, I, I had enough funds secured to do those things, to go to Finland for the first time. And I remember hopping off the plane and thinking, all right, this is great. Uh, I've only, the only other country I've been to is Norway and I know some Norwegian. And so I get off the plane <laughs> and I'm ready to like say, oh, Finland, there's, there's Sweden and Norway. It's probably similar. And I hear like, I look at the signs, I hear people talking and I'm like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> What's going on? What have I Turns done? Turns out Finland <laughs> is very different than Norway. But it does turn out also that they have an amazing music education system. I got to talk to a ton of music educators um, before I started my first year of student teaching and uh, becoming a music educator and just hearing those perspectives and hanging out at a music camp, going to sauna, getting to like just spend several weeks of a summer in Finland doing music stuff. Um, It's like, oh, this is a cool place and there's some really amazing things going on here. And anyway, moving on, right? Then some years passed. Um, And I had heard uh, through some other, you know, mentors and colleagues of, you know, to consider applying for a Fulbright grant, which is, uh, you know, it would be a great opportunity to have funding to study abroad for at least a year. And... Mm -hmm. I thought, well, it'd be really cool to get to continue these studies and to learn more about music education in Finland. I really like conducting, doing these workshops. I wonder if I could study conducting in Finland. Mm-hmm. And so again, just asked a lot of questions and um, worked my butt off applying for that grant. It's a, it's, it, it seems like it's a pretty small amount of writing, but it has to be like so polished. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. hours and hours right. of just like yeah. crafting the best application I could. 
And I was lucky enough to be awarded the grant. So right. then I did move to Finland. Um, I got to start studying at the Sibelius Academy and doing wow. all sorts of cool music education things in that country. That was a long story. So follow-up questions? I don't know. <laughs> <thoughts>. <laughs> well, I, I have a follow-up question. Uh, how does it, I mean, this is kind of a, a very hard thing to answer, which I'm, anyway. Um, but like, how does how does the standard kind of Finnish band class differ from kind of a standard uh, American band class? I realize mm-hmm. many different band classes look very different, mm-hmm. but yeah. Absolutely. Um, if I could generalize, um, yeah. you know, most band classes in America are during the school day. Mm-hmm. Most band classes in Finland are extracurricular at music oh, okay. institutes, um, which happen to be, for the most part, subsidized by the government. So it's mm-hmm. either free or very affordable to have like a really, really holistic music education. But it's a little bit more of an extracurricular um, post after school activity there. Um, The other thing I noticed too is that because a lot of music education happens either outside of the actual school year or school day, it also might happen in a different building or a different organization. So there might be people coming from the community. So you'll have adults uh, sitting in and either like a retired person who wants to learn the French horn (laughs) along with an eight-year-old who's learning the Mm -hmm. French horn. Right. So we see a lot of multi-generational stuff. Kind of like the community um, band model that we see a lot here. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, although the the music schools in Finland also have a pretty great curriculum of music theory and private lessons and all of that other stuff embedded into it, not mm-hmm. just playing in a, in a right. band. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like going to a camp and seeing a, a 13-year-old um, not only just play with amazing technique and tone but also have a really mature understanding of the the big the full musical picture i was really really floored by that in finland that's really cool sounds like a a pretty well-rounded approach to um music education which is pretty exciting oh for sure for sure and i mean so some of my highlights in finland too were getting to go to some of these music schools i had gotten to meet thanks to a lot to Paul Nemisto. I got to meet a lot of music educators first time I went to Finland and they invited me back to visit their school and you know visit our visit their music camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something I was doing kind of alongside this master's program at the Sibelius Academy. Um, but getting to see all the different corners of Finland including Santa's village oh. in the uh, Arctic <laughs> Circle. Wow. Um, And and the professional military bands as well. Um, Right. One really cool thing about the master's program at the Sibelius Academy for wind conducting is they have this partnership with the military. And so they invite the conducting class to go to the Navy headquarters or Army headquarters on the actual base and work with the band for a whole week, giving a concert at the end of the week. So Mm -hmm. that was incredible. Yeah, it's a really cool cool experience. And did you pick up the language? Did it, did it become more comfortable for you to communicate and interact with, with the locals? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes and no. I mean, so um, a lot of my friends who were in the class um, or friends who were music educators had kids who were really little, so they hadn't learned English yet. So I could, I could kind of converse at like a three-year-old level with their kids <laughs> pretty well. Yeah. Um, I could order, um, could order ice cream. <laughs> that's an important pretty, pretty skill <laughs> yeah chapter two of my Finnish language textbook was how much does ice cream cost so I'm like "Ooh, I like this place already it's like hello good night how are you chapter two all right I want two scoops of ice cream <laughs> okay what flavors um yeah so I uh, the classes were uh mostly in English when I was at the Sibelius Academy okay. my uh, instructor actually uh, is Danish Peter A. Troop Larsen uh he took the time over his years of, of working in Finland to learn Finnish pretty well, I would say, um, much better than me. But when you're at the military bases or at like an adult music camp where some people were like, could you try to give the rehearsal in Finnish? I, mm-hmm. I picked up enough to be able to rehearse in Finnish. Cool. That's great. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. 
Yeah, it's 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 so I like I I didn't know this about you before. It's in, it's, so it's interesting, and and I'm, we're going to talk more about about your teaching, but how that how that would influence you, just it being so well so different, but also similar, uh, how that would influence your own teaching and rehearsing. Um, and uh, usually once per episode, I ask a selfish question, and this next question is one of those because I find myself at a point in my studies here at Arizona state where it's like, okay, Dylan, you got to come up with your project idea and, uh, it's gotta be soon. So, <laughs> um, I know, I know of your doctoral project here at ASU. Um, so rather than me telling people what it is, how did it come to be? And, and what did you kind of learn from that? What is it? And what, and what did you learn from that experience? Well, it, it seems like a lot of projects or ideas can come from just like little, uh, sparks of, of inspiration or ideas kind of along mm -hmm. the way. So teaching 7th through 12th band in my first ever teaching job, um, going to Finland and seeing multi-generational ensembles just being super normal. It, you know, mm -hmm. this, the right. adolescents weren't like, Mom, why are you in band? You know, it, was, <laughs> it, it was normal. It was, it was just yeah. what, what happened. Um, and so kind of seeing a lot of these things, I was like, well, this is cool. Um, I think... The way it snowballed besides those little memories from my formative years as a music educator, where I did, I did a project in a class uh, with one of my friends, Chaz Salazar. We were doing a project about El Sistema. And mm -hmm. while we were doing a little presentation and research about El Sistema, he was like, by the way, I teach at this uh, El Sistema inspired organization called the Harmony Project Phoenix. I'm teaching the flute students there. So we're going around and just talking about the uh, similarities, differences between those two organizations. But basically, Harmony Project Phoenix is a nonprofit organization that gives music education, lessons, ensembles, music training to students who either don't have that opportunity in their school or wouldn't have that opportunity of like really advanced study outside of school mm -hmm. um, or access to instruments, things like that. Um, so like that, Chaz, that's really cool. You know what we should do while I'm directing this campus band? We should have your flute students come in. They were beginners. Um, we should have them come in and like play a solo for the band. Like we can, yeah. we'll find something where there's like an easy flute solo and like a reasonable band piece and we'll have it be, it'll be super cute. And he's like, right. that would be amazing. <laughs> um, and so I was kind of just consulting the archives of the repertoire of like, okay, I'm looking for about a three minute beginner flute concerto with a like grade three band accompaniment. Search, right. search, search. And there's nothing that I could yeah. find, at least in 2016. And so mm -hmm. I went to the composition studio and said, hey, um, is anyone interested in writing something? I can guarantee a performance and it'll be recorded at a good quality. And, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, I'm interested, like five or six composers right off the bat. And so I, mm -hmm. I bring that back to Chaz and he's like, well, we also have violin and cello and trumpet. And so he's like. <laughs> So we just get this like concert going where we have, I think that first concert, maybe four different mini concertos where we brought in <laughs> Harmony Project Phoenix students to play a concert uh, alongside the ASU concert band. Um, oh, cool. That's and so, so cool. And that was a really fun project. <laughs> oh, it was so yeah. cool seeing the students come to campus and their parents come to campus. And I was like, how rewarding. That was fun. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Yeah. And I had the same question as you, Dylan. I was like, like the next year, like, oh my God, what am I going to do for my project? What am I going to do for my project? <laughs> and then finally the light bulb turned on and I was like, well, what if there was a miniature concerto for every instrument? Mm. And, you know, what if those could be created and recorded? I mean, we've already done it. I know, you know, it's a successful model. The pieces worked really well. And mm. let's see if we can make it happen. Um, so I called a lot of composer friends and just asked, Hey, I'm doing this thing and I can promise a really good recording. I'm going to apply for a grant to get like, you know, professional recording audio engineer and, and a performance. And here's what the project's all about. And most of the composers I talked with a were I wasn't like cold calling. And so a lot of them were <laughs> friends from school or from high school or so on, but they were like, that's really neat. Um, in fact, little shout out to Canada as a country, no, to Canadian <laughs> composer, uh, Pete Meekin. And we were asking yeah, yeah. Pete, he was on campus. And so I was just talking to him about it. And he's like, I'll write a piece. I'm like, really? <laughs> so he, and he did. It was, it's a great piece. Um, 
So anyway, long story short, um, I, I asked around and people were like, heck yeah, what do you want me to write for? And we, we had this just ginormous recording schedule and turned it into a big collaborative concert with some other outside schools coming into ASU. And it was like a logistical, like, oh, you know, you I know, there's the limit imagine. and then definitely, definitely cross <laughs> yeah. that. It was, it was that kind of stress, but, yeah. but worth it. Um, and yeah. at the end of the day, yes, that, that goal of having a mini concerto for every instrument happened. And that was the project. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, no, that's super, that's super cool. And, and, and that, and I didn't, I, I like, I had, I had read about the, your project, um, and heard some of the pieces, but I didn't know, I didn't know the influence of, of you being in Finland and, and seeing the, that kind of multi-generational thing. Um, but you know, even thinking of, of my own reason of getting into music, it's because some conductor, well, my junior high band director, like let me, when I was in elementary school, I got to conduct the band and to have that kind of opportunity to be part of something <laughs> bigger than you, mm-hmm. um, and maybe uh, musically speaking better than you, uh, <laughs> it's such a, it's a, what a, what a great opportunity to, you know, light that spark for, for those kids and, uh, and to help them, help them see what's possible. And and do it with the people that yeah it's just it's just really it's really a great thing. Thank you. It was really <laughs> rewarding to get to do it at the end of the day. Okay. Yeah, that's wonderful. I was just thinking <laughs> that not only for the young students, um, but also for the ASU students, and like even if if this model were to be replicated with professional musicians, you know, like for established musicians or developing musicians to have the opportunity to kind of be in a mentorship role for younger musicians that's such a rewarding experience to offer on that side as well so it's kind of just and you you mentioned the parents you know family members community members got to attend and other schools coming in I just imagine that everybody involved would have some kind of inspiring takeaway from that kind of experience um and i yeah i can imagine the uh logistical chaos that (laughs) ensued but um well worth it i i bet (laughs) yeah and it was one of those um because we had done something similar the year before um with with chaz and his students and a small Mm -hmm. group i was just like this was really cool i can see how great this can be so that kind of vision for the for the end was a big motivator um, but there were some moments, I mean, I remember with the Arizona State musicians and also when I, I actually did a concerto for a young soloist themed concert at Winona State one year, um, pre-COVID. But uh, <laughs> I remember, you know, introducing the music to the students and they're kind of like, OK, yeah, I guess. And as so- that next rehearsal, when the young students actually like, came in and they're like, oh, my God, this is an actual sixth grader. Yeah. <laughs> and they you know, they have them introduced and they're like, yeah, my favorite food is pizza, you know, and just like oh. that whole, like, and they're Same. standing in front Same. of me, a college musician. Yeah. Like, it's just like that, yeah. that epiphany moment of like, wow, this is like, this is, yeah, they like see, they see what this is all about. Yeah. Um, and also for the composers at Arizona State, I remember a lot of them coming into the rehearsals with the Harmony Project Phoenix students, standing alongside them. Uh, one of them actually like played along, like, uh, Spencer Brand, he's a trumpet player and he was, you know, playing along, giving some like trumpet tips and um, talking with the ensemble and soloists. And that whole, um, I guess, uh, just combination of composer, performer, multi-generational. It was just a really beautiful thing. It's a little chaotic. Don't get me wrong, (laughs) but it's it's pretty neat. It's pretty memorable. Beautiful chaos. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So. It's no surprise that um, that it didn't end there and that you kind of took all of this experience and insight um, from this project and, and your past experiences and created something something else uh, with all of this. And so let's talk about leading tones music. Um, and you can tell us a little bit about it for our listeners that maybe haven't heard of this uh, project before and just why is it important to highlight inclusive mixed level music and what are some of your goals with this initiative? Right. Yeah. So uh, Leading Tones Music is a publishing company with kind of main missions of us serving creative programming needs. So like this sort of mixed level or adaptable or so on. Um, Also serves a mission of connecting living composers with ensembles. 
and giving composers their fair share from the works that they produce. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like the, the pillars of what our company stands for. And by our company, um, I would say first I, my fellow co-owner, Stephen Mitten, is a composer. He's about to finish his doctorate in composition from Michigan. But he, uh, when I met him, was finishing his master's degree in composition at ASU. So he wrote a couple of concertos for this project and said, you know, this is really cool. And I remember sitting in the grad school TA office, Dylan, you know, the one without the windows where you spend most of your time. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And (laughs) I remember, I don't know, just doing some work at the desk and Steven knocks on the door and he's like, this has been really fun. Um, But what are you going to do with all these pieces once they're, you know, recorded and this concert's happen? What are you going to, what do you plan? I was like, well, uh, I have them all on Google Drive and, you know, I'll tell my friends and have them get in touch with the composers. And he's like, yeah, have you ever thought about publishing them? <laughs> and I was like, I am, I am not a business person. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't think uh, anywhere in my like plan for life was owns a publishing company. Like if that just never, <laughs> never was a billboard. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, but he asked me and he's, he himself actually has, um, a minor in, I want to say music business or business. Um, so I knew a little bit, um, and quite honestly, starting a small company, an LLC company is not that Mm -hmm. difficult to do logistically, um, or even financially, thankfully. Yeah. Just a little, a little bit of paperwork, a lot of careful, you know, thought into mission statements and other things like that. But we just sat down um, with another composer, Zachary Bush, who was very heavily involved in writing concertos. And the three of us started this company, uh, which has now since uh, also been owned by a team of uh, me and Steven and now Mary Peterson. Uh, So we are now happily a uh, female-owned business in the state of Minnesota. Yay. Um, But yes, so basically Steven was like, what are you going to do with these concertos? Will you publish them? And I was like, uh, and he's like, let me help you. And so yeah. we, we made it happen. Um, that's how the Leading Tones came to be. And because the company was founded, you know, really heavily or fully inspired on this mixed level, multi-generational project that we had just finished, we're like, well, this is kind of what we want to serve. We want to mm-hmm. have stuff like this happen again to uh, give a platform for uh, ensemble director to say, I'd love to work with this composer or have this composer work with my ensemble. Or I have this idea for featuring the sixth grade trumpet section. Uh, do you have any ideas? And I could say, yes, these are some mixed level trumpet concertos yeah. or here's an adaptable yeah. piece, you know, like all, all sorts of like problems that are real world problems that happen for just about every ensemble director to be like, yes, we can fix that. But also while we're at it, let's have you build a relationship with this composer Mm -hmm. and have a really meaningful experience. Right. Yeah, that's wonderful. That was kind of one of the the cool things when I was looking at the website. Like not only do you like sell the piece, but you also have like the composer's contact information and even like the how much it might cost for you to to have them come into your your classroom or your rehearsal space to to work with your musicians. So it's kind of a, a very much a multifaceted kind of publishing uh, Absolutely. company. I mean, and I think I mean, Kate, you can probably speak to this, but I imagine. Um, over the past several years, in fact, your level of engagement with ensembles who are uh, not just commissioning or part of a consortium, but even just performing an existing work of yours is Mm -hmm. pretty significant. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I have like solicited that since the beginning of what I've been doing. Like I've invited people to contact me when you're playing my music and ask me any questions that you have. Uh, but not everybody thinks to do that. Not everybody knows that that is an option. Um, and I think it's wonderful to just, you know, make it really easy for band directors, for educators, community music leaders to um, just be able to see that option right in front of them. Um, so I, th- I think that's really fantastic. And and yes, especially in the past few years with the pandemic limiting our in-person interactions, I personally have seen a huge increase in interest of um, just having a musical artist, a musical guest of some kind speak with students um, 
whether they are, like you said, commissioning a piece or working on an existing piece, um, or even just wanting to kind of pick the brain of somebody who's in a musical career. There's been a lot of that in the past few years, and I, I am excited about, you know, setting that standard. Like, hopefully that will be more and more normalized going forward, that any time someone programs a piece by a living composer, there's this connection between the musicians and, and the composer and the community. I think it just enhances everything that everybody's doing. You know, it's, it's a really wonderful thing that we can do these days. 100% agree. 100% agree. And I like that whole, like, yeah, I mean, as a composer, even pre pandemic, pre having Skype or zoom or whatever, uh, meetings with ensembles before that became the norm. Like this is something you as a composer wanted to do and, and advocated for. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Even as a self-proclaimed introvert. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't my fault. Uh, Yeah, well, we're going to make sure to to link all the the leading tones um, stuff in Mm -hmm. our episode notes, which you can find, you know, wherever you, whatever app you're listening in, you can find our notes there, as well as on our website. Uh, For each episode, you can find all of those useful resources that um, will benefit you greatly. So go check them out, please. And thanks. Um, Way back when, at the beginning of this interview, we mentioned that uh, your assistant professor at Winona State. Uh, So I'm wondering what led you to Winona State and could you tell us a bit about your uh, position there. And I realize a job is probably what led you <laughs> to Winona State. Yeah, what led me there was it was very good luck. Very good luck. I, yeah. When you finish, you know, graduate work and you're like, all right, I'm about to have this crisp doctorate in musical arts in hand. <laughs> Who wants to hire me? Someone, please. <laughs> you know, and I, and I was fortunate to find out that there was a job posting in my home state. I remember playing softball tournaments in Winona and I knew of the town as a place that's very pretty in Minnesota. Actually, it's not just flat farms. It's like right on the Mississippi river. It's gorgeous. Uh, definitely come visit. Um, but I, I, I applied, um, along with many other jobs, um, happened to interview and happily get hired on, uh, as assistant professor of music and band director at Winona State University. So it's been wonderful. It's actually my fourth year there um, with, you know, the pandemic smack in the middle as well. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's been a very wonderful four years, amazing colleagues and students, uh, beautiful town and in my home state. And I feel like maybe, I don't know, it's tough. My Northern accent has probably gotten a little thicker over the past four it's years. Back. Yep. <laughs> Yep, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, uh, some things that I do at Winona State. So I direct uh, two bands. There's a wind ensemble and symphonic band. Uh, there's athletic bands I direct in the fall, but not spring. I have a colleague help me out with that for the basketball season. Um, and we also, I also organize an honor band, which next year I believe will be the 45th annual Winona wow. State Honor wow. Band. So very longstanding event. Mm-hmm. Um, other classes I teach, it's, it's a, a small ish music program. Like, I don't know, we always say it's kind of a Goldilocks size, but it's not a large part. It's <laughs> not Arizona state size. So, uh, some of my other job responsibilities include, uh, teaching, conducting lessons, uh, conducting level one, two, three, which is an advanced rehearsals techniques oh, class, great. uh, conducting four, which is an advanced score study class. Again, like wow, so nerdy and so fun. Uh, so the conducting curriculum, uh, some private conducting students, uh, music education classes such as marching band techniques and instrumental ensemble methods, things like that. And then now just this semester, I am teaching um, the saxophone ensembles, quartets and studio lessons. Wow. Oh, great. That's, yeah. So that's a, that's a lot, a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm very happy to say it's all things that I very much love, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, one one time, well, not one time. Well, uh, before I was at ASU, I was at a junior college in Canada, and it it was not all things I loved <laughs> that I had to teach. So it was a, uh, eh, but the you know once we got past the first year, it was great. Uh, but no, that's super cool to hear about all that all all the stuff, and it's in your home state. Yeah. Like, what are the chances? That's amazing. Yeah, it was uh it was pretty 
It's <laughs> pretty funny. I remember interviewing there in like the middle of February and at the time mm-hmm. flying from Phoenix to there and everyone was like, oh, where are you coming from? I'm like, oh, Phoenix. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just like apologize. <laughs> and I think the dean said, well, at least Winona, it's known as the banana belt of Minnesota. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and apparently in Winona, and I, I would say this is mostly true. It's usually like three degrees warmer than other parts of the state. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, just, it, I don't know, in a little heat. warm spot in the Mississippi River Valley. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was still like minus 15 the other day. So mm-hmm. banana belt indeed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know Dylan and I are always like commenting now that he's in Arizona and I'm here in Ontario, Canada. Our, our climates are like very, very different. We got like two feet of snow here um in southwestern ontario this week and it's just mm-hmm. it's beautiful but a little bit cold <laughs> and i had i had to walk by the fallen oranges from the orange tree just outside the building oh it's citrus it like, season that's right citrus yeah. season <laughs> what a novelty <laughs> yeah. hey do you know can you eat them uh, you I know, know some you of can. them are not good to eat but some of them okay. are uh, and not like mm. You know, they'd poison you, but probably they'd be like sort of pithy and not that good. But yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, I don't think you need to like go shopping for citrus fruit between now and middle of April if you wow. put your mind to it. Fascinating. Fascinating. That's pretty. Exciting. Anyway, sorry, my my mind went to the oranges. Okay, well, we've sadly come to our uh, last question of this interview, but I'll remind our listeners that the three of us are going to go on to record an exciting and fun bonus episode for our Patreon community. So if you want to access this bonus episode and the back catalog of other awesome bonus episodes, you can check that out at patreon.com slash bandroompod. But before we get to that, we have one more question for you, Melanie, and that's if you could give one piece of advice to conductors, educators, or musicians in general, what would it be? And it it doesn't have to be just one. If you've got two (laughs) really good ones, three really good ones, that's okay too. (laughs) Um, Sure. I I think I could give two. I remember um, one, one question that I had asked some someone smart, someone I really admire. I can't remember where, but I was at a conducting workshop. And I think I asked like, what do you do outside of music? What are your hobbies outside of music? And whenever I've asked like a master conductor, you know, uh, like, like Gary Hill, their hobby is always very interesting and unique and also not related to music. Um, Mm -hmm. and so for example, Gary Hill said, well, I, train dogs for agility training yes i'm like what (laughs) and it was was so he's like yeah it's great exercise and a lot of like transferable skills with nonverbal communication and gestures and i'm like whoa that is so cool um so my advice is to ask people about their hobbies no my advice is to uh just you know find something outside of uh your musical life that uh also brings you joy Mm-hmm. Um, my other piece of advice, and hopefully it's something really cool and unique, and then you can just like wow a young, you know, <laughs> who asks you, yeah. <laughs> no, whatever gives you bliss. Another, um, <laughs> I guess, w- bestowing a word of wisdom, if I'm even qualified to do that, was, <laughs> I would say through yeah. my experiences, rather than waiting for some sort of opportunity to come to you, just get in the business of asking questions of people from people who you look up to and and following through, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if they say, you know, not right now, but get back to me, um, or something like that. Just, just get in the business of asking questions, just being brave in that space. Cause most times people are really eager to, to share and to connect, especially if you're asking about something they're really good at or really passionate about or both. Um, and most really amazing opportunities, that have happened at least in my life have come from just asking and then following through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really, really good advice. Both of those things. And I have to ask because this is your advice. What is your non-musical, non-conducting <laughs> hobby that is unique and cool? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so I think so. That was a bad one. I just heard myself give the long, the long. Yeah. So, oh. so, 
My, uh, this is not to be edited out. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, my my hobby that I've gotten into. So uh, through through university, I was an athlete, um, Mm -hmm. mostly with team sports. So when that went away, I was a little bit at a loss for what to do. One does not merely just play fast pitch softball as a 30 something. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. Maybe in Arizona it does. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but what I, I ended up getting really passionate about, thanks to a good friend of mine in Arizona, uh, was trail running. So hmm. I got really into that out in the, the Southwest because you can, you know, dodge rocks and rattlesnakes. Just kidding. Mostly rocks. You can dodge rocks. You can kind of get up the side of a, uh, a ridgeline. And because there's no trees in the desert, you can just see mm-hmm. for miles. It's just yeah. so peaceful. It's great exercise. It's It's a rush. And so... Some of my favorite memories were doing a trail run up on the top of a mesa in Monument Valley or in wow. Zion National Park or just like going to cool places and running around in the nature. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It does sound amazing. It is also, I don't think, going to be my hobby here <laughs> in Arizona. <laughs> Those trails are also I'm hikeable. Just- Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, Kate and I were recently on, uh, we were interviewed on a podcast and, and we were talking about hiking and I'm just like, I'm the person you don't want to bring hiking. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm a big complainer, <laughs> um, so but it's also cause I came from a very flat place and then You're just not came here to it. And it's extreme. Yeah. Like yeah. we, yeah, we went way too fast, too hard, too soon. It was, uh, yeah. Oh, see, I like, yeah, I grew up in a, a really flat farm town as well, but I've read books about like Climbing Mount Everest, and yeah. I was like, "Mountains are so cool." But yeah, <laughs> there you but go. yeah, to that each incline. To each their own. Yeah, yeah just, I'll watch. I'll watch. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, thank you so much, Melly, for taking the time on this uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, evening i guess now it's uh, for for you guys uh to uh to speak with us to share your story and it's been such just a, such an amazing treat to get to know you a little bit more after hearing so much about you um uh, so thanks so much for being in the band room well thank you Don. thank you kate Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the band room podcast, give us a rating and a review and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider becoming part of our Patreon community where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet, sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, where your comment might be featured on a future episode of BRP. Our theme music is Skyline, composed by EKR Hamill and performed by Dr. Gillian McKay and the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room.